After improving to 6-3 on the season by sweeping the Cardinals on Sunday, Seahawks continue to be the number three seed in the NFC. After winning six of their first nine games, are they suddenly a dark horse Super Bowl contender? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're in Germany getting ready for the week, uh, big game coming up this next weekend, or you're in Ireland, you're in Iceland, wherever you're at. We greatly appreciate you listening to Locked On Seahawks five days a week. We got a bunch on tap here in today's show, a loaded episode here on Monday. You can tell that I have had a long day and I had my flight canceled coming out of Arizona. So my apologies if I get a little bit uh, off the map here during this episode. But we've got so much to touch base on with the Seahawks getting that big win over the Cardinals yesterday, scoring three touchdowns on three straight drives to put away Arizona on the road. We'll have our Monday musings. We'll be tackling some mailbag questions and, of course, Answering the most essential question, are the Seahawks now a dark horse Super Bowl contender in the NFC? This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online and available to people worldwide. And they have a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash locked on. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. If we go back in the time machine to early August or even early September, the Seahawks were not expected to be anywhere close to contending for the playoffs, let alone have their name in the discussion for the Super Bowl. They were one of the five teams with the lowest odds to make the Super Bowl in February. And yet here we are, Rob, now in November. This might have seemed like just a feel-good story when the Seahawks moved back to 500 a few weeks ago, but they've now won four straight games after beating the Cardinals yesterday we're into November. They're six and three. We're past the midway point of the season. I think we've reached the point, especially with how wide open this NFC looks, that this team is no longer just that feel-good story with the way that Geno Smith is playing and riding a four-game winning streak, winning on the road. They're doing it all on offense, defense, and special teams. This team very much looks like a team that deserves to be in the discussion when we're talking about teams that could be playing for a Lombardi trophy in February. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case, Corbin. I mean, again, six and three is their record right now. And you just look at the rest of, uh, you know, their, their schedule, and it looks like this is a team that could easily, uh, you know, basically match that kind of start um, all throughout the second half of the season. I mean, obviously, this week you're going to be traveling to Germany to face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's a club that has struggled. Um, they are coming off of a victory, of course. Then you have your bye. You're going to host the, the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, then you're going to have you go on the road to the L.A. Rams, um, then Carolina, then San Francisco, then at Kansas City and at the New York Jets, and finally wrapping up a home game against the Los Angeles Rams again. I mean, it, it feels like they could wind up having basically the same kind of schedule, the rest of the, the same kind of record the rest of the way. You get into double-digit victories, you are going 
to make the playoffs. And we all know the way that Lumen Field can get loud and the way that the weather can change things here. Corbin, I don't know if there is a better team right now, overall team, in terms of offense, defense, special teams, than the way the Seahawks are playing. If they are able to keep this up, they absolutely are suddenly a surprise Super Bowl contender, especially the point you made to start off the show, just how wide open the NFC the NFC is. Give the Philadelphia Eagles, the only undefeated team in the NFL, give them a great deal of credit. But who else out there scares you? Maybe, maybe the San Francisco 49ers, maybe. But otherwise, I really think that Seattle can play with just about anybody. Yeah, and you know, you could make a mention of the Minnesota Vikings, maybe the Dallas Cowboys. But I feel like even though those teams have really good records, it feels like they certainly are beatable teams. And the way that the Seahawks are playing now they are truly playing the style that Pete Carroll wants, and they're wearing teams down late in games and they're finishing drives. That's something we just have not seen. Even the 12-4 and four season a couple of years ago, that was not necessarily a strength of this football team on offense, finishing off games. We are seeing that, and they're doing it week in, week out. This has not been a one- or two-week charade. They have been doing it now for the better part of a month on offense. And so it's been really impressive. You can see how excited Pete Carroll is. And you mentioned how complete this team has been. Now, there are a lot of different advanced stats out there, but if you follow football outsiders, DVOA, that is one of my favorites. We're looking at defensive value over adjustment. And it's like any other stat. It's not the end-all be-all, but there's a pretty good connection with the teams that score highly in this metric and playoff success and winning Super Bowls. And you look at where the Seahawks are at now. They were top one, two, three teams in DVOA pretty much every year when they were competing for Super Bowls in the early 2010s. This team right now, over the last four weeks, our YouTube listeners can see these graphics as well. They rank fourth in team DVOA the last four weeks, 34%. They're second in defense, negative 25.2%. That is a remarkable turnaround from the beginning of the season. 13th in offense. That was brought down by the first game in Arizona, but still 4.7%. They're eighth in special teams. So again, Looking from the complete picture, they are clicking on all cylinders. They're averaging 28.5 points per game. That would rank second in the NFL for the season based on the last four weeks. And this is the stat that really jumps out. They're allowing 12.75 points per game on defense the last four games. Again, the remarkable turnaround. Four games is a fairly decent sample size, and they've played some good quarterbacks. I mean, Kyler Murray is a talented QB. They faced him twice. They've dealt with Justin Herbert. I think Daniel Jones has improved a lot this year, and he's won some games for the Giants early this season. But the Seahawks held these teams under 13 points per game in these four games, which would be number one in the NFL. Right now, the Buffalo Bills are giving up 14 points a game. 12.75 would be better. That's how well Clint Hurts' defense has played these last four games. So you put the running game, Geno Smith's efficiency, his resiliency, the way this defense is getting to the quarterback, the way the secondary is playing, how they're playing on special teams. They are the complete package right now. And so absolutely, Rob, this looks like a team that they're maybe still on the peripheral when we're talking Super Bowl, but I don't know how you can't include them in the discussion if you're going to have teams like the Cowboys, Vikings, and Giants, and they're the Giants being a team the Seahawks handled pretty easily a couple weeks ago at home. Yeah, that's the thing that gets me so excited about it because I think that you were very wise uh, to to mention the Dallas Cowboys, Minnesota Vikings, as a couple of other teams that that concern you a little bit. But you know, I, I look at those rosters and I don't see teams that I personally feel are quite as complete as, as Seattle's at this point. Now, obviously, Dallas has had some issues. You know, they got their quarterback back in Prescott, and and now they might just you know really go on a run here, and they certainly have some defense 
offensive playmakers there, but their lack of big time stars at the wide receiver position to me is a little bit of an Achilles heel. Look at the Minnesota Vikings. They're to me a very similar team as like the Arizona Cardinals, where they got a superstar at the wide receiver position, obviously, in Justin Jefferson. And they have a dynamic running back, a much greater running back in Dalvin Cook than the Arizona Cardinals have in James Conner, although I thought the Conner showed flashes of the, the Conner that we've seen in the past. But still, to me, that is not a defense that scares me nearly as much. I really like the way that Seattle's playing right now. I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I mean, I will absolutely call myself out for – uh, you know, disrespecting this team, frankly, for, for incorrectly evaluating uh, how well this team has played. They have been remarkable so far. To me, they are the most positive story in all of the NFL. A great deal of credit goes to everybody in, in, involved. Pete Carroll, John Schneider, obviously the players, the Seahawks fans as well, because they have been loud, they've been proud. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why you can expect that the this run should continue as Seattle starts to host a lot more games at home. Thanks to our friends at 538.com. We have updated Super Bowl odds for those of you listening, watching on the show that like to see where the Seahawks fit into this race right now. The Eagles at 8-0, the only undefeated team in the league. They have a 68% chance of getting a first round by 19% chance of winning the Super Bowl. The Cowboys are actually second behind them at 6-2, 16% for a first round by 12% for a Lombardi. I'm actually surprised the Vikings are behind them because the Vikings have had a fantastic season. They just added a really good tight end in TJ Hawkinson. 12% chance. They're supposed to say first round by. They're definitely not going to win the NFC West, being the Minnesota Vikings and playing in the NFC North. But their chance of winning Lombardi is 7%. And then the Seahawks, their first round by odds, 0.9%. And not really a great chance for them to get that number one seed. But they actually have a 2% chance now after a four-game winning streak to win the Lombardi Trophy. So when you look at that, you know, the Seahawks are certainly in the mix. One of the top four teams, the Buccaneers and the Giants are right hovering around there as well. Nobody's going to give up on Tom Brady just yet, especially if they manage to beat the Seahawks this weekend and get back to the 500 mark and beating the Rams and the Seahawks back-to-back weeks. But certainly Pete Carroll's team, they're in a position nobody expected. And now it's not laughable to put the Seahawks in that discussion with the way they've played over the last four or five games. Coming up next, we're going to answer your questions on our weekly Monday mailbag segment. We didn't get to it last week with a jam-packed week. Tons of news going on, but we're going to get to your questions coming up here next on our latest episode of Locked on Seahawks. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be full of challenges. Recently, our family has undergone significant strife with family members dealing with health issues. And it's been a struggle, not just for me, but my entire family mentally. Life can be full of twists and turns, so it's important to show yourself through it all. And BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Therapy worked wonders for me, but don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online and available to people worldwide. With therapy, you can take a few tries to find the right fit for you. And BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself. BetterHelp has a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash LockedOn. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash LockedOn. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate all of you. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most, the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard 
and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only available on Locked On. Locked On Sports Today, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Rob, we didn't get to our mailbag last week. We had a lot of 12s dishing out questions this weekend coming off this big win. So we're going to bring back our Monday mailbag, answer as many questions from the 12 as we can. And this first one, I know you're going to be excited about a player that you and I both have had some excitement about that we haven't gotten to see on the field, but maybe just maybe this week we might see him. And this question coming from Torben tweets, in his postgame press conference, Geno Smith praised freaking Donk, Aaron Donkor, for his early weight room appearances. As a German Seahawks fan, I wonder if he might be elevated from the practice squad for the Munich game on Sunday. What do you think about that? Uh, Pete Carroll talked about it today. It sounds like the door might be open to see Aaron Donkor make his NFL debut in his native country. Yeah, that would be awesome if that is, in fact, the case. I mean, I think that, you know, Seahawks fans have been eager to see Aaron Donkor. Obviously, uh, fans in Germany are going to be that much more excited about Donkor. And and the the limited opportunities I've had to evaluate Donkor, you know, going to training camp practices, uh, things of that nature, I really have been impressed by his physicality, uh, his burst-up field. Um, you know, I, I think that there is a chance, as you said, with, uh, you know, Pete Carroll kind of talked about that in his press conference today that, um, you know, he's kind of leaving the, the possibility there that, um, that that might be something that could happen. I, I just wonder if Seattle is playing so well right now on special teams, including some free agents that we're going to be talking about a little bit later, that that would be the likely spot for Doncourt to be able to get onto the field. I hope it happens. I'm certainly rooting for it to happen. I think that there is a good chance it's going to happen. I just don't think that it's a slam dunk because Seattle is playing so well, they can't afford to kind of get too gimmicky just to try to appease fans. And I will say this, with with Cullen Gillespie now probably out for the season, he's going to need knee surgery, Pete Carroll said today, exited yesterday's game. He's played really well on special teams since they brought him in as a free agent. And so that may be your position where you're going to elevate Aaron Doncor and have him play and kick and punt coverage. And the thing that fans have to understand is this is the NFL. There's never sentimental values. You know, teams aren't going to just elevate guys just for the sake of elevating them. But I think Pete Carroll genuinely likes Aaron Doncor, and this could be a game with Gillespie now out that there's a real fit for him to play in this game and appease the German fans. So I think it's a 50-50 chance. I think there's a good chance we could see him, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. We won't know really until Saturday when they're already in Munich getting ready for that game against the Buccaneers. Next question coming from James Mannon tweets, is Geno Smith really in the MVP talk or is he just a lock for comeback player of the year? And is that a good thing or a little rude? Well, I've talked a lot about MVP talk and certainly Geno, I know he threw a pick six yesterday, but the way he responded to that and comes right back and leads three straight scoring drives, that is the play of an MVP quarterback. So Right now, I think of the way Josh Allen played yesterday for Buffalo. I think Geno Smith played himself further into this race. You could maybe make an argument he and Patrick Mahomes right now are the top two MVP candidates. Allen is right there too, but his elbow injury, that is something worth watching. As for comeback play of the year, we've had plenty of fans question whether he's worthy of that. He's not coming back from an injury. He's just been on the bench for seven years, but that's the point. He's been in QB purgatory for seven years. The guy has just been waiting and waiting and waiting, and now he suddenly is playing like a top-five quarterback. Like That sounds to me like a comeback player of the year, so I think he absolutely should be in the running for both of those awards, and he deserves to be. I don't see any other guys coming back from notable injuries that are having dynamic seasons either, so 
the comeback player of the year award very much seems to be within the grasp of Geno Smith. And I think he's right there in the MVP race as well, leading this very surprising, very talented Seattle Seahawks team. Next question from Hawkstrologer tweets, what's your biggest concern for the offense and defense in their upcoming battle versus Tom Brady and the Buccaneers? So we're getting a very early peak, Rob, into what you're thinking about where this game is going to play out for the Seahawks as they go across the pond. Yeah, really quickly on the last question there with Geno Smith, I, I would agree with you. The MVP conversation, the um, you know the, the comeback player of the year conversation. I I, also, I think that the NFL should institute some type of a new rule, like a breakout player uh, of, of the year. Um, you know, something that I saw Brad Johnson do. That I saw Rich Gannon do. That I saw Kurt Warner with a K, not a C, for those longtime Seahawk fans out there. That uh, that they all had unbelievable breakout. Uh, seasons wound up taking their teams to Super Bowls in some cases. Um, you know, that um, I think that they that that's the kind of award that really befits what Geno Smith is doing for the Seahawks. Um, quickly on, on Tampa Bay, to me, it, it really does come down to just a couple of players who I think are just absolutely uh, unbelievable players for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, obviously the GOAT and Tom Brady. But I think Leonard Fournette and his physicality, Mike Evans, his physicality, I think are huge concerns. And then they talk about physicality. You certainly have to mention Vita Vea as well. So to me, those are the players that I think you're going to have to keep Clint Hurt, uh, you know, and, and the rest of the Seahawks staff, basically keep them up at night trying to prepare for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers have not been as good this year against the run, but that is certainly an area going into this game that worries me with Big Vita in the middle. And he has just been so dominant, and he's coming off a great game against the Rams. I think the Seahawks have more weapons in the running game, but still, that is not going to be easy sledding for the interior offensive line. Looking at our next question from Spencer Jones tweets, what would be your dream 2023 draft for the Seahawks? Well, I'm going to be honest, Spencer, you know, I've been excited following this current team, so I haven't been doing a lot of looking into the draft, but I will say this. I, I certainly don't know that quarterback is going to be as high of a priority as what many thought it was going to be. Certainly, you got to keep that option open if the right player's there. But I think getting another edge rusher is always on the board, especially if they somehow can get a top five, top six pick, courtesy of the Denver Broncos. There are a couple really good pass rushers that might be available in there, and you can team them up with Boye Mafe, Uchenna Nwosu, Daryl Taylor. I mean, you could have a murderer's row of pass rushers, or you might be able to go out and – Upgrade your interior offensive line with one of those early draft picks. Not a great class necessarily, but there's some solid guards. There's some solid centers that you could look at. Uh, they might even look at some receivers. As crazy as that might sound, we haven't seen much from D. Eskridge. And Tyler Lockett's not getting any younger. This is going to be another really good receiver class that might have some guys that are first-round caliber. So that would be the blueprint I'm looking at right now. I think linebacker has certainly got to be on that list too. Though Cody Barton's played better the last couple of weeks playing in a little more of a reduced role. And it seems like he's really elevated his game the last few weeks with that more situational role that he's playing now next to Jordan Brooks. I do think that that's a position they're going to need to draft somebody though. So those would be the positions that maybe I'd look at. Maybe if you're concerned about Jamal Adams health, you know, you could look at safety as well, certainly, but They've got a lot of options open right now. They're worried about winning with this current group, though. So we'll see what happens when we get to February and March. I'll have a better idea what the Seahawks should be looking at for the draft. Cash with a K tweets, and this is a good follow-up question for you, Rob. With Geno playing out of his mind, do we still take a flyer on a rookie quarterback next year if a good one falls to us with the Denver pick? Or do we shore up our defense, use our first two picks at linebacker, defensive tackle, maybe a receiver? 
And do we gamble with Gino? It really is the essential question right now. And I think you and I are both probably leaning more towards, I don't know that we pick a quarterback that early. Well, I, I still would argue take a quarterback just because I think that this class could be special. I think with the second first round pick that you're going to have, the second second round pick that you're going to have, you have been afforded a little bit of uh, you know flexibility now. And so I think if this is the quarterback class that I think it is, and if all these players decide, you know, make themselves eligible that we are anticipating the CJ Shrouds, the Bryce Youngs of the world, then, then I think that Seattle has to take full advantage of that. With all due respect to Geno Smith, he is still only half of a season uh, of playing at this, you know, all pro kind of level. Um, but again, he is playing at an all pro level. So I don't think that you necessarily can justify packaging those picks and aggressively moving up to the top of the the first round to take one of those quarterbacks going back to the the, the question previously there are some players out there who i do think that you could justify packaging some picks to move up maybe for a georgia defensive tackle jalen carter will anderson jr the edge rusher from alabama tyree wilson from texas tech is one that a lot of people are excited about one of my favorite players is a a, an edge rusher it's a little bit short uh, Felix and Aduke Uzoma from Kansas State. But to me, there's some Uchenuosu to his game. I think the pass rusher is going to absolutely have to be a position that Seattle looks to fortify. This draft class doesn't have quite as many superstars as we've seen in the past, but it does have some good players. Seattle, again, is well fortified, well positioned to be able to address those concerns. And looking at our last question, this coming from Tyrion. And no, I don't think it's Tyrion Lannister. I don't think Game of Thrones is listening to our show here. But do the Rams struggle, or due to the Rams' struggles, does that open the door for Odell Beckham Jr. in late November and December? Now, Rob, you and I were joking about this. We're probably going to be getting this question every week as the Seahawks continue to win games because Odell Beckham Jr. is getting close to being healthy and he wants to play for a contender after winning the Super Bowl last year, he got hurt in that Super Bowl game, though, for the Rams. You know he wants to get back to the Super Bowl. So he's going to be looking for contending teams. The Rams don't look like that right now. They certainly don't look like they're going to be getting back to the playoffs or the Super Bowl. There's a lot of season left, but that seems like a long shot. The Tampa Bay Bucks at 4-5, and five, depending what happens this weekend, if they fall to 4-6, and six, it's hard to see Odell Beckham Jr. being swayed to sign there either. Maybe he goes back to the Giants where he started his career, but I will say this. I still think it's slim chances that OBJ goes to Seattle, but you know, if they keep winning games and the Seahawks get in a position where they'd like to add another receiver and it's only for the last four or five games, you can afford that even with your salary cap situation right now. Why not? And and if he's really focused on winning, the Seahawks might suddenly be a team that's on his radar that haven't been in the past. Because Green Bay is another team. They just lost to the stinking Lions yesterday. They're not going to be signing OBJ either. So you know, if he wants to play for a contender, Seattle absolutely is playing into that, as we talked about in the first quarter, and maybe that does open the door. I still say it's a long shot that happens with the receivers they already have, but hey, why not? And he showed last year he could play on a team as a second or third fiddle receiver, and there's never too many targets for a quarterback like Geno Smith. When we come back next, we're going to get to our Monday musings, dishing out some takeaways from yesterday's win in Arizona on offense defense and special teams we'll get to those here in a moment we're nearly halfway through the nfl season and week nine is about to wrap up tonight with monday night football i've got lamar jackson going off with four total touchdowns against the new orleans saints that might not seem like a bold leap but with prize picks it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test pick two to five players and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection you can win up to 10 times your money 
on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And Prize Picks offers projections in any sport you watch, whether it's NBA, MLB, NHL, college football, or MMA. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy with safe and fast withdrawals. It's currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. We greatly appreciate all the 12s out there who make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. They've got the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Winning their fourth consecutive game and their second straight road game. First time they've done that since 2020. The Seahawks took care of business in the desert yesterday with a 31-21 victory over the Cardinals. They complete the season sweep over their NFC West foes. They gain half a game on the 49ers who were idle this weekend and a full game on the Rams who lost a heartbreaker to the Buccaneers 16-13. So really... This was about as successful as a weekend as you could have asked for for the Seahawks. And aside from Cohen Gillespie, as we mentioned earlier, going down with a knee injury, they ended up leaving pretty healthy, which anytime you do that at the House of Horrors, that is State Farm Stadium, that's a big deal. Let's get to our Monday musings, our in-depth takeaways. We always get excited talking on Victory Monday coming off a game like this. Rob, let's start on offense. What jumped out to you from this game? The Seahawks able to score three touchdowns in the second half to put away the Cardinals. Yeah, that, that certainly is an exciting element about it, just the resiliency of Geno Smith. But, but I, I think that, to me, the, one of the most exciting things about it is just the way that Geno Smith and Shane Waldron, a play caller, are distributing the football. And, and just that it's kind of like a pick-your-own-poison kind of a thing here. It's just get, allowing the Seahawks a great deal of versatility here. You know, the, the Arizona Cardinals, one of the things I was really concerned about how they would match up with Seattle is, as we talked about, the Cardinals have two really athletic linebackers in Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins. And we saw Zayvon Collins make a terrific interception for the pick six. Hey, sometimes great players are going to make great plays, tip of the cap. But for Geno Smith to come back from that, for Seattle to feature the tight ends as much as they did. I mean, Seattle's tight ends, that three-headed monster that we talked about so much already. Noah Fan having his breakout performance for the Seahawks, five catches, I think it was 96 yards, led the team yep. in receptions and receiving yards. To For Seattle's tight ends to have as many catches, 10, as DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett had, for the running backs to catch a lot of balls, to, to see the tight ends blocking the way that they are. Kobe Parkinson is becoming one of Seattle's best blocker, is becoming one of the better blocking tight ends in the league. I never thought I would see He really that. is. He's been spectacular so far this season. He's just playing with a different level of ferocity that I've ever seen from Kobe Parkinson. So I love that. So to me, that is one of the most exciting things about it, is it feels like we're only a game or two away, perhaps, from having a Derek Young kind of a breakout, maybe having a D. Eskridge type of a breakout. Marquise Goodwin, of course, already had his, but he'll be coming back at some point here. So to me, that's when the most exciting thing about it is that we talked before about some of the offensive teams out there in the NFL, Minnesota Vikings being one that has some dynamic players. But if you can slow down 
Justin Jefferson, if you can slow down Cooper Cup, if you can slow down some of these teams' number one targets, you basically shut them down. Who are you going to try and slow down on the Seahawks offense? They just really are that dynamic right now. Yeah, they really do have one of the best overall skill player groups in the entire NFL when you consider the running back talent they have in the pass catching ability. I mean, Ken Walker III has great hands out of the backfield. Michigan State just never used him that way, but he has shown that since the start of OTAs. Really soft hands, can run routes as a receiver. They've moved him around. He's played some fullback. He had a run on a a third down that picked up a first down conversion from the fullback position. So Geno Smith has all these weapons. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm piling on Russell Wilson because we know all the special things that Russell Wilson did in a decade here. And there are things that he could do in his prime that Geno Smith isn't going to do. But what he has brought this offense, what number seven has brought this offense is the ability to distribute. And Russell Wilson, that was not always a strength for him. In fact, the last couple of years, very heavily targeting those top two receivers, not much activity from the tight ends in the passing game. And that's really opened things up. It really is making life difficult for defenses. And eventually they're going to have to start trying to defend these tight ends tougher. And that's just going to make life easier for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett on the outside. And you're going to see those two have big games. It's not like those two weren't productive yesterday either. They had 104 receiving yards and two touchdowns combined. Neither one of them had a 100-yard game, but they were effective, and they both made clutch plays on third downs. And that really leads into my big discussion point here. And I'm going to be talking offense and defense here with this. It's the third down brilliance, the situational football for the Seahawks. They went 10 for 15 on third down yesterday offensively. Geno Smith was 8 for 10, 80 yards. Both of his touchdowns in the red zone came on third downs, 136.7 rating. He also had that 18-yard scramble on their next-to-last touchdown drive on third and seven that extended the drive. Walker scored a few minutes later. Walker had three carries on third down, and all of them were turned into first downs. And I think this is the most exciting part. They moved the chains four times on third and six or longer, and they converted seven of their final eight third down opportunities. I mean, that is ridiculous efficiency. You need to ask your players to be that efficient week in, week out. There's a reason that teams that are near the top of the NFL and third down rate are usually around that 45, 46% range. You know, asking for 80% clip like the Seahawks did in the second half of this game, that's asking a bit much. And yet this team is consistently doing that. They are having games where they are moving the chains and they're doing it in tough third down situations One that stands out to me, that touchdown drive right after Smith threw the pick six, he throws a 14-yard dart. I mean, you probably could feel wind in the stadium coming off that football, how hard he threw it. Hit Tyler Lockett. Lockett then draws a unnecessary roughness penalty at the end of the route, taxing another 15 yards. A few plays later, Geno Smith is hitting Lockett in the end zone for six points. That was a third and 12 completion. There was another play that was third and 15. They got 13 yards on, and you can debate whether Tyler Lockett should have fought for those extra two yards, but Smith put him in a position where they could have gotten that first down. And I think one of the reasons they've been so successful moving the chains in those situations is the confidence that Geno Smith has in all of his receivers. He's not just staring down number 14. He's not just staring down number 16. He's got his tight ends. He'll get the balls to his running backs, his secondary receivers. He'll get the football to him. He trusts and has confidence in everybody around him. And uh, Shane Waldron's putting him in a position where he can do that. And he's taking advantage of the middle of the field. He's making those difficult throws. And oh, by the way, Rob, on the defensive side of the football, the Cardinals again go six for 14 
well under 50% on third down in this game. They shut him down on third down the last time they played. A big part of that is that pass rush getting after Kyler Murray. The first half, they didn't have any sacks, but they were getting after him. They let him get away. He's a magician, and he's a jitterbug. He was able to get out of those sacks. That luck disappeared in the second half, though. They got five sacks, two of them from Uchenna Nuosu, who's playing like an all-pro right now, rushing off the edge. Shelby Harris getting a sack. Bruce Irvin, the elder statesman at 35, looking like he's 25 again, rushing off the edge, getting to Kyler Murray. They got a team sack that I think should have probably been credited to LJ Collier, who's played really well the two games since they brought him off injured reserve. I mean, that group, it's just like the wealth of riches they have on offense throwing the football. They've got a nice wealth of riches along that defensive line. Even the interior guys, your edge rushers, they can blitz guys to get after the quarterback, and they're selective about that. They're efficient with them. I mean, that is the big difference for this football team. The distribution on offense with all these weapons and that many guys on defense stepping up and getting after the quarterback. Yeah, it's kind of much the same. You know, as I said before, on the offensive side of the ball, it's kind of pick your poison. It's the same thing on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, the the, the sack distribution, as you mentioned, five sacks for the Seahawks. They had six sacks against the Cardinals a couple of weeks ago back in Lumen Field. I'm surprised that Seattle had as much success as they did, considering this was a was a road game. Um, so to me, that's really exciting. You mentioned Uchenna Nuosu. I mean, my goodness, he's got seven sacks. In, in the first nine games so far. I mean, that's already eclipsed his, his previous career high, you know? So, I mean, he, I think that he should be talking about right now as a breakout player of the year candidate, you know? So, uh, again, uh, you know, another you know spectacular performance. But I, I will say this. It is a lot easier to rush the passer when you have dynamic cover guys as well. And we talked about it in the, in the uh, you know, pregame show um, that we were excited to see Tariq the Freak Woolen, uh, you know, against uh, against Deshaun. I'm not space on his name. Uh, but anyways, against Hopkins. Uh, like, <laughs> Hopkins, against New Hopkins. We were um, you know, we were so excited about that matchup just because of the the physicality with which Hopkins plays, the ball skills, the the body control, just a different type of receiver than what we've seen Tariq Woolen go up against in the past. And while Woolen did give up a touchdown reception to Zach Ertz. Again, you got to give sometimes pro bowlers a little bit of credit. It was a perfectly thrown ball from Kyler Murray. It was a great catch by Zach Ertz. Otherwise, Woolen almost had another interception. He did make a big breakup against the play against New Hopkins. And to me, he basically made Arizona have to look elsewhere. And that's not something that Kyler Murray wanted to do. So I think, again, Seattle's coverage, and we shouldn't just focus in on Tariq Woolen. I mean, I really like the way that met, um, Mike Jackson's been playing. I love the fact that Ryan Neal continues to make big plays, that uh, Kobe Bryant did have some missed tackles. But again, you got to give them some credit too. Rondell Moore is very, very difficult to tackle. So just very impressed by Seattle's coverage. And of course, that allowed Seattle's pass rush to absolutely tee off. Yeah, I think the secondary play has – it's like Pete Carroll talks about. You have to have a marriage between your pass rush and your secondary. The secondary has got to be able to lock things down. If the pass rush is getting after the QB, it makes life easier on the secondary. If the secondary is getting after it, it makes it a little more time that you can get after the QB, it's easier for the front line. And right now, both those units are playing off of each other about as good as you can ask. And that's why they're giving up less than 13 points per game on defense the last four games. That pass breakup that Tariq Woolen had – you could see the 426 speed and the 34 inch arms there with his break on that football. And 
Pete Carroll talked about today, he was kind of upset after the game that he didn't go for the interception there, but it still ended up being a really nice third down pass breakup. He held Hopkins to four catches for 36 yards going against him. And this is a guy that had over 200 receiving yards his first two games back. And you watch the tape and he wasn't open. Kyler Murray, it wasn't just him avoiding Woolen. Uh, Hopkins was not getting open very much. And that's a testament to just how good this rookie's playing. And that coverage on the tight end on Zach Ertz, that's a tough play to make with the coverage they were in down there. And you're going to get beat sometimes. This is the NFL. He continues to be impressive. Ryan Neal, I keep saying it. He's playing like an all-pro right now. Big play week after week. That forced fumble really changed the tide and really turned the momentum back to the Seahawks. The Cardinals should have gotten at least three points on that drive. Ended up going to the sideline with nothing. Some deja vu. It was the same play that Kobe Bryant did in that game in week six when he forced the football out of Kyler Murray's hand. So they're really getting everything going with that pass rush and the secondary playing off each other. And I think the linebackers are playing better to go with it. The whole defense has grown comfortable in this scheme. Some of the adjustments that they've made have also helped, obviously. And we are seeing the results on the field. Real quick to close out our Monday musings, I think you're going to probably have something to add to this. But we've talked about how great this draft class is. I'm going to make an argument that this is reaching historic uh, is reaching a historic point for the Seahawks. We're talking better than 2012, at least in their first year, because that group was obviously fantastic with Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, some of the other contributors they had, Bruce Irvin on that team. But this team's got six starters that are playing at a high level from this draft class. You've got Dariq Young making two huge plays on special teams. They've got two undrafted rookies. We didn't get to see Joey Blunt yesterday because he missed the game, but he's been dynamic on special teams. And Joshua Oniogo, making his NFL debut yesterday. Three tackles on 11 plays, had a couple really encouraging pass rushes. This kid looked good in training camp and preseason. I think there is a role for him as a reserve rotational defender here, maybe even by the end of this season. And he looked really good in his first taste of NFL action. So we're talking about nine players right there between your draft class and undrafted rookies that are contributing at least on special teams. And a number of them are starting and playing at a high level. We know how well Kenneth Walker, the third's playing boy, Mafia had another really good game yesterday. Both tackles played well. They're getting those big plays from Woolen and Brian. I mean, this draft class is as good as it gets for the Seahawks. And I think it absolutely it belongs in that discussion with that 2012 draft class right now. Yeah. And I think it's creeping up on it and may actually overtake it, which is, you know, saying obviously Insane. a great, great deal. I mean, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, because obviously if you find yourselves all pros the way that Seattle did back in 2012 and, and those, especially when they play quarterback, then, uh, or at least pro bowlers, then, um, then I think that that's, that's, you know, that's more important than some of the other positions out there, but just in terms of efficiency, something we've seen Seattle's quarterback, current quarterback, Geno Smith show a great deal of, then the, what about the efficiency of John Schneider and his scouts with this draft class? Absolutely remarkable. Really quickly on Oniogo, I, I think that you're very wise to mention him as well. He is the biggest reason why I kind of, you know, hemmed and hawed a little bit about whether or not I think that Aaron Donkor is going to be able to get on the field. You mentioned Cullen Gillespie and going down with the injury that potentially is going to create a spot for another linebacker on the field. Maybe that is going to, um, you know, uh, allow – a little bit of, of turnover at that spot, but I really think that Oniogo, his ability is very similar as the German Aaron Doncors, and that's why I don't know that we're going to see Doncor actually get on the field. Although, again, I, I'm hoping to do so. 
I, again, what to me is most remarkable about this draft class is not just the fact that they hit on their early picks, but it goes all the way into undrafted free agency. It really looks like the Seahawks hit an absolute home run with that 2022 draft class. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked On Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. And, of course, streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to have our usual Tell the Truth Tuesday festivities. We'll be dishing out some hot takes, a few other takeaways coming out of Sunday's game. We're going to be doing a bunch of other things as well. going to be a jam-packed episode as we gear up for the Seahawks heading to Munich to face the Buccaneers in an international game coming up on Sunday. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.